Brothers and sisters, we'd like to be very aware this morning that it's a few days after what the Christian church has called Ascension Day, and so we'd like to pay attention to a passage that has to do with our ascended Lord. And for that purpose, we turn to Philippians, and we want to read from chapter 3. Pay a fair amount of attention today, also this afternoon, to what Paul writes in wonderful words in Philippians. Let's read the Word of God as we find that in Philippians chapter 3, the verses 1 to 21. Hear the Word of God, Philippians 3 verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the, circum- of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted a loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, and it also includes the sisters, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord, and our text is from verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God.
<clears throat> Brothers and sisters, on this Sunday morning when we want to remember the ascension of our Lord, I think there are at least two dangers that our text asks us to sort of highlight. One is the danger that we would just turn this into a doctrine and make it very abstract and theoretical. It's a doctrine which says, yes, Jesus once walked on the face of the earth, and yes, he rose from the grave. After that, he ascended into heaven, and that's where he is, and one day he will come back. Is that what ascension means to you? Is that all it means? I believe that if we want to live the Christian life with any degree of vitality, we need to see this very personally. Jesus, our Jesus, our Savior, He sits in the heavens above, and He will come, and He will be victorious. A vivid Christian life depends upon a vivid awareness of our Lord Jesus Christ alive and ruling in the heavens today. In all situations, whatever your pain, whatever your sorrow, whatever your trouble, Jesus knows it, and the Lord Jesus is in control of all of that. And he's going somewhere even with that. The other danger, at least with this text, is that we misunderstand it. There is this phrase in verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven. If you can read any Greek, it actually says our polituma is in heaven. And that suggests to a lot of people that our politics is in heaven. And that means we've got nothing to do with the politics here. We, we just are these Christian people, these pilgrims who are journeying through this world and trying not to be affected by it so that we can go into the next world unscathed. And we want to be, have as, as a loose relationship as we possibly can with this world. Really, Reformed theology says, isn't this God's world? Didn't He give it to you? And if He gave it to you, shouldn't you do everything you do in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? Can't you love this world in a sense? Because it's God's world and it's given to you. All things are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. The real heirs to the world to come are, are those who are Christians, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ and those who love Him. I don't believe this text is telling us to be as, you know, to tiptoe through this world and Try not to be too involved in it. No, it's telling us something else. It's telling us we need to have a vivid Christian life. And the only way we'll have a vivid Christian life is if we have a vivid awareness of our Lord Jesus Christ alive and ruling in the heavens today. Lord Jesus, help me today to just glorify you, to do what you would have me do. Help us to walk in your ways and live to your praise in all things. Would we flourish today? Here's the recipe. Be mindful. Jesus rules in the heavens. He sees what you do. He's mindful of what you're up to. He knows what your priorities is, are and what they should be, and he knows all kinds of things. Brothers and sisters, uh, the Word of God comes to you this morning under this theme. God's children, through the ascension of our Lord, are blessed, first of all, with a new status. That's in verse, the first part of verse 20. A new hope, 
the first part, second part of verse 20 as well as 21. Actually, our text is not just verse 20. Sorry about that. It's 20 all the way to 4 verse 1. And thirdly, our a new steadfastness in chapter 4 verse 1. God's children, through the ascension of our Lord, are blessed with a new status, a new hope, and a new steadfastness. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that really mean? Well, as usual, when we're not too sure what Paul means, we usually have to dig into his world a little more and see what it meant to the first century readers. And we need to realize that Paul's word to Philippi, Philippi was a Roman colony. Philippi, the city of Philippi, actually owed much of its present condition at the time that Paul writes to it to what happened in 42 B.C. Back then, about 100 years before Paul came to the area, Philippi was the setting for one of the greatest battles in the Roman Civil War that had broken out after the death of Julius Caesar. And after that battle, the two victorious generals, Antony and Octavian, found themselves with a lot of soldiers in northern Greece with nothing more to do. The battle was over. And so they didn't want to bring them all the way back to Rome or even to Italy. It would be kind of dangerous to have thousands of tough men like soldiers suddenly arriving in the capital and nothing to do. So the emperor gave the Octavian and Anthony land in and around Philippi and made it a colony of Rome, a Roman colony. And once the colony was established, other veterans from other battles would join them. By the, Paul, by the time Paul went there, Philippi contained quite a number of families descended from those original Roman colonists as well as many local original people who had benefited from the Roman presence. And Philippi was, of course, <coughs> quite proud of its Roman status. They were ruled by Roman law, enjoyed Roman citizenship, had good access to Rome by land and sea, and contact could be maintained with that beloved mother city, Rome. These people would do their best to order their lives the way they learned back from Rome. You can be sure, for example, that the imperial cult was well established. Caesar, the emperor, was worshipped as Savior and Lord. <coughs> they also lived in the confidence that whenever trouble would come, help would be sure to come from Rome. No doubt about it. And all of that is important if we are to understand the language. We are citizens of heaven, Paul says. And here, many modern Christians misunderstand that to mean, don't we, they misunderstand that to mean, and there's a day coming when we're going to go and live in heaven. That's the day. That's the focus. But that's not what Paul means. If someone in Philippi said, we are citizens of Rome, that wouldn't mean something like, one day we're going to live there. Being a Roman colony works exactly the, same, the other way around. The last thing the emperor wanted was a whole lot of colonists from Philippi coming back to Rome. The capital 
overcrowded already and underemployed. No, the task of the Roman citizen in a place like Philippi was to bring Roman culture and Roman rule to northern Greece to expand Roman influence there and thus please the emperor. We are citizens of Rome meant something like, of course, we're going to live like Romans and we're going to be loyal to the emperor and we're going to regulate our lives as he would have us regulate those lives. And so, draw the line, continue the analogy. For Paul to say, our citizenship is in heaven, means the church is at present a colony of heaven. And it has the responsibility to bring the life of heaven and the rule of heaven and the perspective of heaven down here to earth. The truth is, we should have some idea as to what heaven's going to be like, the new heaven and the new earth are going to be like, because we see something of that in the church which gathers here, in the people who are gathered here, in the way they behave, in the way they act, in the way they take care of God's creation, in the way they look forward to the world to come. It isn't saying, Paul isn't saying, we belong there in heaven and woe to us as long as we have to live on this earth. No, he's saying, we belong here, and we're placed here. Jesus Christ, our Savior, has placed us here. But what we need to do is live the way Christ our Lord wants us to live here, abide by His rule, and find our joy and our delight in belonging to Him. What Rome was to the Philippians, heaven is to the Christians. What the emperor was to the Philippian citizens, Christ is to Christians. You want to have a vivid idea as to who Jesus is and to the fact that He's there with you every day, in every conversation, in everything you do. We are citizens of Rome, must have meant we live as Romans. We take our orders from the emperor who rules from the heavens. We are citizens of heaven, must mean we live as Christians. We take our orders from Christ who rules from the heavens. In politics, in every sphere of life, we will do what Christ wants us to do. Caesar is not our Savior and our Lord. The risen and ascended Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. That's what Paul is talking about in this larger context against all those who would oppose him. It's about our new status. Romans were big on status, on citizenship. Think of Paul, how everything changed for him and the whole trial procedure when he said, I'm a Roman. It was a very status-oriented culture. Well, Paul knows and says to all believers, regardless of whether or not you have Roman status, you have Christian status status. We are citizens of heaven. It means heaven rules. It means you live by a better ethic. You have a better perspective. You have a norm and a, and a set of norms that go far beyond anything that you might read in the newspapers. You draw your perspective from out of the Scriptures. It means heaven rules. Caesar is Lord. No, Jesus is Lord. No one rules but Christ alone. You see, this is the first thing ascension means. It means we're all under new management. 
We're all under the management, the rule of our Lord Jesus Christ who governs from heaven above. Yes, his birth was important. And his death, oh, what a death. And his resurrection, thanks be to God. But those are all wondrous things of the past. At present, he is alive. And he is above. And He's giving you and me orders, how to regulate your life, how to live in fellowship with Him. And as He does so, He's not unsympathetic towards us. Jesus Christ has something to say about your conversation, your family, your business, your sexuality, your everything. And He knows about the burdens that you carry, the struggles you have, and He knows it's difficult for you always to live His way when you're in the midst of his, those struggles. But through, it's through a living relationship with him that we manage to persevere and we manage to go forth. So the big question, the first question is, are we living in accordance with our new status, our new citizenship? If you're a citizen of Canada, you have a passport to Canada. But if you're a Christian, you have an even better passport, a passport to the new heaven and the new earth. All things are yours. It includes the things of this world. Don't despise them. Use them to the best of your ability because it's God's. All things are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. <coughs> but we also have a new hope, chapter 3, 20b, as well as 21 because suppose now that things got difficult for the Ro those Roman colonists in Philippi. Suppose there was a local rebellion, or suppose that those Roman colonists would be opposed and their rights would be withdrawn or whatever. How would they cope? What would they do? Well, their best hope would be that the emperor himself, they had a relationship with the emperor in Rome. Their best hope would be that the emperor himself who after all was called Savior in all their literature, would come from Rome to Philippi and change their defenseless situation, defeat their enemies, and establish them as firmly and as gloriously as Rome. That's what it meant to be a Roman colony. Probably the emperor himself would not come, but help would come from the emperor. <coughs> that would be their hope. Well, so too. Paul says in verse 20, we have the same kind of hope. For Christians, life can be tough. We're opposed, even as Paul was opposed. There are enemies of Christ who don't understand us. There are even Christians who sometimes just don't get it. Life can be difficult to those who belong to Christ. Take up your cross, said the one who went to the cross. And he wasn't talking about some kind of cruise. He wasn't talking about some kind of wonderful future. He was talking about death. Anybody who took up a cross was going to one place and one place alone to his or her death. And that's the nature of the Christian life. And if you think it's going to get any better, don't be fooled. It's going to get a whole lot worse. If you're noticing our culture, our life, our, our, our country, freedom for every opinion, every approach, except that of the Christians. It was my privilege in the past week to attend a conference in our capital city, and 
to hear some wonderful Christian brothers talk about the gospel and talk about life today. And the one brother said, and he spoke about some things that had to do with sexuality and all the currents of our time. And he said, frankly, I don't care. It's got to be said. If they come to get me, they come to get me. He will be faithful even unto death. Are we prepared to be like that? Faithful unto death in the face of the opposition we'll face. It's going to come, brothers and sisters. It's going to come. Read the papers. See our culture. You know it's coming. But this is our hope. Just as the Roman citizens might look for help from Rome, the heavenly citizens look for help from heaven. This is our confidence. Our best and our greatest hope is that Jesus Christ personally will come to our rescue. He won't just send somebody. He will come himself. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, our Lord Jesus Christ. When our Lord Jesus ascended to the heavens, according to Acts 1, the angel said to the disciples, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you've seen him go to heaven. It's the other side of the ascension. As he left, so will he return. As he went, so he will come. We eagerly await a Savior from there. And when things get rough for us, when things get rough for the people of God on the other side of the globe, they already face this. They're already looking for Him because it's painful to live in Ukraine or to live in China and to stand up for the cross of our Lord Jesus. Help is going to come from the heavens, the true Savior, the true Lord, the greatest emperor himself. King Jesus will change. He will come from heaven and change everything. He's going to transform the entire world so that it's full of His glory, full of the life and the power of heaven. And as part of that, He's going to transform our bodies so that they are like His glorious body, the body which was itself transformed after His cruel death so that it became wonderfully alive again with a life that death and decay could never, ever touch. He will change us so that we can live with Him forever in that new world that's coming, a world that will unite heaven and earth, a world that will be united under His wonderful rule. Christians whose names are written in heaven's book, who are busy observing heaven's laws, and are loyal to heaven's cause, are all the while looking for heaven's Lord. This, more than anything else, is what makes us Strangers and sojourners, pilgrims on earth. Not because we despise the world. It's the Lord's world. This more than anything else is what makes us desire a better country, a heavenly one. It's not the fact that this world is nothing, for it's God's creation. And it's going to be renovated and stripped of everything painful and everything evil. We don't have to spend our days here despising God's creation. Explore it. Be amazed by it. Enjoy it. That which drives us is the fact that our Savior, even stronger, our head, is there in the heavens. Is it not natural for members of the body to be where the head of the body is? Whenever you see a head coming up the stairs, you have no doubt 
the rest of the body will follow. Well, says Paul, there's a day coming when that will be the case. It's the Christian firm and steadfast hope. We will follow. We will be where our head is. Those people who oppose Paul, who have their minds set on earthly things, they don't know this. And people who are outside of Jesus Christ don't know this either. But there's a tremendous amount of energy in the power, in the present power of a future hope. The Scriptures say that because Abraham looked forward to a better country, even a city, he was able to keep on going as God called him to. The Scriptures say because Moses looked for the reward, he was willing to forsake the treasures of Egypt. The Scriptures say even our Lord Jesus kept going and jured the cross, scorning its shame because of the joy set before him. So to today. Who's not tempted to give up? Ah, what's the use? But Christians don't do that. Why not? Because we have a hope, a hope that lives within us. It's the present power of a future hope. It's not some flimsy hope like when I say, I hope so. No, it's firm. It's sure. It's going to happen. He's going to come again, and He's going to deliver the people of God. This life and its struggles are not eternal. One day Christ will return, ushering in a new world, a new heaven, a new earth, and that life will be eternal. The citizen of heaven living on earth is content to do the Lord's work daily because he knows ascension doesn't mean a Lord who's gone forever. No, he's coming back. And the one thing those who love the Lord want to hear is praise and commendation from this Lord when he comes back. The spiritually minded do not live for the things of this world. They anticipate the blessings of the world to come. It's fuel that keeps us going. Our dear Lord has left us so that he might come back and bring us to a world that's far beyond our best and wildest expectations. Sometimes we might wonder, how will we ever fit in that new world that's coming? Paul answers that in verse 21. He says, don't despair. Don't wonder. Your Lord Jesus Christ has amazing power. Look at what he says. The power that enables him to bring everything under his control. That's amazing. Today the world's a mess. Today there seems to be so little subject to Jesus Christ. It's what discourages us, whether it's in the political realm or whatever it is. What's the use? But Paul says Christ has power. Power to bring everything under his control. And how he will use that power also so that we will be like his glorious body. He ascended into heaven with a body fit for the heavens, fit for life on the new heaven and the new earth. He will come back in that body, the angel says. And one of the first things he does is bring about a wondrous change so that all those whose names are written in the book of life, all those who have heaven's passport in their pockets are changed in a twinkling with the sound of the last trumpet changed. I once listened to a little sermon. The text was, the trumpet will sound. Powerful sermon, powerful message. The trumpet will sound. This preacher obviously loved instruments, and he was arguing that the trumpet was the king of all instruments because the trumpet's going to have power. 
when the trumpet sounds, the world will change. Doesn't mean it doesn't matter if you're already in the grave, the world will change. Doesn't matter if you're alive, the world will change. Blessed are you if you are changed into the glorious body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are you if you will be like him forever. Blessed are you if you flourish now in Jesus Christ, because our hope is we will flourish, flourish like never before, and we will flourish forever and ever. Here we may be weak and tired and handicapped and conscious of our imperfections and scared of disease. It's also discouraging, but then we'll be able to go on and on to the praise of God because the Savior of ours will bring everything under His control. The trumpet will sound. I believe the resurrection of the body. I believe a new heaven and new earth. Christians, it's true, I think, spend a whole lot of time talking about the journey and whether we're worthy enough to go on this journey with Jesus Christ. We don't spend enough time thinking about the destination. It's an odd thing. If, you go, if you're going to go on a holiday to some remote island, you don't think about how you're going to get there by airplane and all that stuff. You, you think about getting there and what it will be like to be on those beaches and to be enjoying God's creation. Well, so too. We should spend more time thinking about the destination than about the journey. God embraces us in Jesus Christ. This is your hope. This is your life. It's not about you and how you do this and how you do that and whether you have enough faith. Do you embrace Jesus Christ? Do you love Him? Who do you love today? What do you love today? Our greatest hope is not that Christ might take us there forever, but rather that He would come, change us, save us, change that world, and usher in that better world. At present, we don't see everything subject to Jesus, Hebrews says, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor, and we know where this is going because we see Jesus, and He's got a crown, and He's the greatest king ever. The power of a vivid Christian life depends upon having a vivid perception of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see Him as king? Do you see Him as ruler in everything you do and everything you are? Pandemics, wars, tensions between nations, those are the effects of our fallenness. That's part of sin's ruin. Governments, they try to fix them. But where one is done, there's another one. But Christ can fix forever. He will come. He will banish sin. He will banish all its effects. True fellowship is often lacking today. Their fellowship, even with God, will be amazing, and it will last forever. That's the help that's coming because and when you carry a passport to heaven. It gives us a new hope and also gives us a new steadfastness. Chapter 4, verse 1, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that's how you should stand firm in the Lord. The imagery sits, fits with what goes before. It's the image of a soldier who stands firm in battle. He doesn't wait. He doesn't easily give up. Heavenly citizenship gives him a place in this world and a calling until the master returns, a steadfastness with which to see it first, 
through. You should stand firm in the Lord. Ever traveled to Ottawa and seen those soldiers in their red garments and their big black hats? And you can try to budge them. You can try to get in their way. You can tell them a joke. Nothing will move them. They stand firm, straight-faced. That's the nature of the Christian life. Stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, in many areas of the world, the people of God are persecuted, slaughtered. The effects of sin and suffering reach into their homes, but a good soldier doesn't easily give up. He stands firm. That's our challenge, and that's what we want to pray for them. We can do it because today is ascension. Ascension reminds us we have a Lord who has left us for a little while, but not really. He's here with us by His Spirit. He makes our home with us. If anyone loves me, the Father said, we will come. We will make our home, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He's coming again. So stand firm and stay steadfast in Him. And all God's people said, Amen.